You are listening to the Therefore I Geek podcast, episode number 28. everybody and welcome to Therefore a Geek. I'm Andrew. And I'm Tracy. And joining us today is the former publisher for Archaea and now the current founder and publisher for Magnetic Press, Mike Kennedy. Mike, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So Mike, uh, before we get into some of the stuff about Magnetic here, which um, we're real excited to talk about, um, can you give us a little bit of your, your personal background? Um, I know you, you did some comic writing. Uh, I have one of your Aeon Flux comics uh, floating around my office at the moment. Nice. Um, yeah, well, you know, com- I, I always I always love comics as a as a you know as a storytelling medium, and and you know I, I always like writing. And and as a kid, I would even draw my own. And one of my first jobs was working in a comic shop, so I don't know the comic uh, format was always in my blood. But um, I didn't really make it a career for a while. I, I was in video games for. About 20 years, actually. That was my first real career uh, position. I started out as an artist and an animator, but then as I started doing more writing uh, and getting some writing gigs at Dark Horse, um, that kind of started to spill over into the video game. So I started to do a lot more um, campaign writing, script writing, which then kind of turned into directing cutscenes and animation directing and art directing. And pretty soon I was producing which was pretty much not doing anything creative, but telling creative people what to do. And uh, <laughs> yeah, 20 years after that, I was like, you know, I, I miss actually creating the stuff. It, you know, I was working for companies like Electronic Arts and Namco and Activision. And, you know, when you get to, when you get to that level at companies of that size, you know, the creative opportunities really start to, I wouldn't say diminish, but the pie gets sliced up into such wafer-thin pieces that, I don't know, it's it, it's not as satisfying. So, um, yeah, about that time, uh, this opportunity just kind of popped up out of, kind of out of left field uh, from Archaea, and they were like, well, we like the stuff that you've written so far, we like the, you know, the fact that you can publish and spin so many plates and, you know, run schedules and budgets and everything, we kind of need someone to do that uh for Archaea. Um, so yeah, so this opportunity came up to, uh, to to join Archaea as their publisher, which was mostly, you know, scheduling and publishing, uh, budgeting, you know, the the math side of things. But it was a door into into the medium that I love. So I couldn't say no. So I took that and I was there for three years and it was great. I mean, working alongside all these really talented creators and learning parts of the business that um, I wasn't aware of. But, you know, I was able to take all of all of that knowledge and all of that networking and all of the, you know, all of, all of the, the daily know-how and eventually turn that into my own thing, Magnetic. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so you said that kind of turned into Magnetic. So so kind of how did Magnetic get started? And, and I mean, what is Magnetic for, those, for our, our listeners who don't know? Well, Magnetic Press is uh, it's a publishing company that we started, uh, technically, I guess we started about a year and a half ago, although we've only been on shelves for about 10 months. So it's a, we're a, a pretty new independent uh, publishing company um, that I started with uh, Wes Harris, who's my uh, business partner. And he uh, and I, we always had ideas about the kinds of books that we wanted to put out and um, books that we wanted, to, because he was at boom for a while and i was at Archaea for a while and we would always we would constantly have these conversations about uh, titles that we thought would be awesome but for one reason or another we couldn't get them into our respective publishing houses you know maybe ah. didn't fit the brand at the time or or i don't know for any number of reasons they you know they were just titles that just didn't they didn't fit at that time at those places so we were like well if we were to ever do anything what titles if you were to ever start up a company what what, what would you put out and he'd ask me the same question, and almost simultaneously, we'd, we'd name off the same French books that we've been wanting to bring over. So the opportunity came up when Archaea got uh, purchased by Boom. You know, there was 
there was there was some you know consolidation going on with role descriptions and um you know not there there was no there was no house cleaning or anything but there was okay we're, we've, we've got an editorial staff how do we how do we merge these editors together? How do we merge these designers together? How do we merge the brands together? You know, there was a lot of consolidation going on in terms of, of roles. And I just saw at that point that there would be a lot of changes in my role. And so I uh, just, maybe now is a good time to, to follow some of those other project ideas that, you know, I'd been thinking about for a couple of years. And, um, and at that time, Wes was kind of thinking the same thing. So we're like, all right, you know what? Let's pull the trigger. So we did it. I mean, you mentioned that you um, you guys both started listening with the the you know the same French books. What, I mean, what what draws you to those those kinds of French books? Because they're they're all kind of in a, in a general similar vein, not quite like heavy metal, not quite um, stuff like the um, uh, Asterix and stuff like that. It's kind of a, a <laughs> I was round. just thinking Asterix. <laughs> well, see, actually, that's the thing that, especially now now that we've been really focusing on that for the last two years, that's the stuff that really excites me about it is it's it really is i mean it's not a genre any more than you know comics as is a genre i mean it's right like i it's just surprising whenever i come back from the angolem festival every year which is it's basically it's like their san diego comic-con they they've got every type of comic you can imagine i mean they've got a lot of you know the high history talking head you know bodice period pieces they've got a lot of you know crazy anime looking you know little kids chasing cats around trees they've got um you know high crime pulp noir stuff they've got you know everything from you know you, you painted a, a a good broad description there everything from asterix to you know black sod to you know, we were doing a bunch of really good ones at Archaea, like The Killer. I mean, it's those are all completely different audiences. And I've just been excited by just the wealth of awesome stuff there that nobody's heard of here. And so it's a great opportunity for Magnetic to not only bring over some really cool books, but introduce some amazing talent that, you know, people here probably don't know anything about, you know. Yeah, and the, I mean the books are spectacular. I've I've read a couple of them so far. Um, I'm finished Lumini a few days ago. I'm in the middle of Zaya right now, mm-hmm. and they're just they're very different than anything I've seen, but they're very very cool. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. Is even 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 the way that they approach storytelling. I mean, like it's just a different mentality, you know. Like they, you know, they'll take certain left turns that I don't know. It just seemed very. I don't know for lack of a better term European, but you know, it's just like there's a there's a storytelling uh feeling or mentality to like say manga stories, and there's you know, the, the European titles have their own kind of storytelling pacing and, and 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 patterning. Um but I think what we're trying to do at Magnetic is find the books that have that, have that unique style to them, but not so much so that they alienate an American audience. Like there are, there are, let's, let's put it this way, as much material as there are, is in France, I easily say 90 to 95% of it probably wouldn't sell here in America. The Americans' tastes are very, you know, they're, they're much, yeah. they're much more dynamic. They're much more, I don't want to say Hollywoodized, but they're more, we like our stories to have a particular type of um, structure, not saying not saying it's a template, not saying every, anything is formulaic, but, you know, we, we, we like certain beats in our pacing and we like certain, um, you know, character arcs over others. And, and I don't necessarily, they, I don't necessarily think that they stick to that in France as much as, as we do here in the U S but that's a, that's a good thing. I mean, I think magnetics picked some titles that are close enough to an American aesthetic, but yet different enough for them to feel really cool and fresh here you know Nadja Nadja doesn't really I don't I don't know if you'd see that structure even even for an image book it really works I know know exactly what you're saying well the other thing I was going to say that I appreciate about Magnetic is the the wide variety in storytelling and artistic forms you have everything from super ego which I was so excited about I, I I read the whole thing in about I don't know 45 minutes and then I went back and read it again because it was just really really good then you've got Mecca 
which relies very heavily on the art for its storytelling. You have Doom Boy, a, a completely those are those three different books right there just are completely individual. There, there's nothing that seems to tie them together. So I appreciate the variety that Magnetic um, makes available. So, I mean, no matter what your taste is or if you have a wide taste in comic styles, you can find something for just about anybody there. Yeah, yeah. And, we, and we're trying to bring in even more stuff. Like, I don't know if you've seen, uh, we just released a couple weeks ago a book called Love, The Tiger. Yes. Which is, I mean, that's a completely different style as well but it's it's a completely wordless story about a a day in the life of a tiger in the jungle and it's very it's you know it's not anthropomorphized they don't they're not talking animals they're not i wouldn't say they're not cartoony but at the same time it is kind of an animated style to it i mean it's illustrated by uh uh, Federico Bertolucci, who, who he was doing some animation for Disney in Italy. But it, it's great. It's almost like a nature documentary in the fact that all these animals are behaving as they should, but yet there is this story to it. You can follow it panel by panel, and you're following the experiences of this tiger as he's trying to, just trying to eat. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of the uh, the storytelling style of Rudyard Kipling. If Rudyard Kipling didn't um, create human uh, yeah. emotions in his animals. That's kind yeah. of what the feeling that I got from it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like you know, the like Disney used to do those document. Well, I think they still do a little bit where they do those documentaries where they're kind of following the animals and yes, they, they kind of turn that 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 day in the life into a story. But you know, those are usually narrated by you know somebody who's explaining how this is yes. a story. But this is like imagine that without the narration you're just watching the animal doing their thing so but yeah that's another uh, that's another couple of creators that i just think are fantastic and and i really think that's another type of story that i certainly hadn't seen it here in the states i mean pride of baghdad was fantastic but even that you know the animals were talking and yes yeah. yes know, so, so yeah we're you know i think trying to bring in some unique stuff that i think is different in the American marketplace. And hopefully that sets magnetic apart to the point where, you know, we kind of stand out a bit. No, I absolutely agree. I, I, I couldn't agree more that um, the, and going back to love the tiger, the, I, I think you're right that, that you can't really find anything quite like that, but it, it belongs on, on shelves, not just of comic book stores, but regular bookstores as well. Yeah. Yeah. This year we're really putting, last year was our getting off the launching pad year. And this year is the now let's now we're going to establish a solid orbit and start building a platform year. So, you know, last year, most of our priority was kind of focused on getting the first set of books out and, um, you know, getting our name out there and establishing at least a grassroots level of awareness. But this year we're really going to be tackling the, uh, you know, the, the library market a lot harder. We're going to be, you know, chasing after schools, you know, with love, uh, you know, we're reaching out, we're already reaching out to you know, animal uh, conservation societies and zoos. And, you know, I think that, that that particular series, I really think has has really strong legs for reaching a, a more of a mainstream audience. So we can expect um, more of these, not just about tigers? Yes, actually. Well, that that's the first one in a series. There's currently, there are three in the series. The second one is actually coming out in, let's call it August, September. So it's coming out in the fall. It's Love the Fox where basically it's a day in the life of a fox as he's going through. And it's and it basically takes, instead of being in a jungle setting, now it's in more of a northern woodland setting. Um, and then next, early next year, probably January, February, we'll be releasing um, Love the Lion, which is following a lion through a day. But it's more of a, you know, set, set in like a Serengeti uh, setting. Absolutely. So, yeah. So these, these creators, and right now they're working on a fourth book, which... I don't think it's a secret, but it'll be uh, Love the Dinosaur. Oh, cool. So they're going to start a wow. dinosaurs in, in a, you know, kind of a fictional uh, setting. So that would probably be late 2016. But uh, Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know several people who will, uh, will definitely want to check that one out. Yeah, yeah. I was a real big fan of the Ricardo Delgado dinosaur books, um, Age of, was it Age of Reptiles that Dark Horse put out. And I think, I think this will definitely appeal to those people for sure 
Um, so about how quickly after they're published in France do, are you all able to um, publish them here in the U.S.? Well, right now we're kind of playing a bit of catch up just because there's so much stuff that's already available, you know, that's been out for a year, two years already. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we've just got so much stuff to choose from that, you know, we're, we've been coming out a good couple of years late. Like, actually, Mecca originally came out in like 2004. So that's been a while. Ah, okay. I think, you know, The Lion just came out in France. I want to say maybe six months ago. So, but by the time ours comes out, that'll already be a year. So I'm starting to have more conversations with, um, with European publishers where um, we're looking at scheduling uh, things to come out as close to simultaneous as possible. But the problem is, is the format in France is so much different. Like in, yes. they, they will release a 48 to 56 page hardcover once a year so an american audience a they're not going to want to pay the cost for a hardcover that's only 48 pages and they're also not going to want to wait a whole year for what's essentially issue two so like in europe they're i, I guess they're i don't know more patient for lack of a better word <laughs> or you know if it's a six-part series like you know naja was a was um that was five books and uh that came out over the course of, it was like five or six years. And I, we wouldn't have been able to get away with that here. So in a lot of cases, we're intentionally waiting for these stories to get completed so that we can put out the 256-page complete version. Yes. So there's a couple series that we're talking about right now. Um, and really, we're just kind of waiting on the final volume to come out in France, you know, later on this year, and then we'll release the full collection here in the States next year. Ah, very nice. Yeah. So, um, obviously you guys have been doing a lot of, a lot of French books and I've noticed at least on a few of them that you are listed as the translator. How did you, how did you pick up uh, those, um, ancillary duties? Well, initially it was, uh, to keep the overhead as low as possible <laughs> and try to do as much as, uh, as, as I, I'm comfortable doing. Um, you know, I, I, I took my fair share of French in high school and, and tried to keep up with it in, in college. I wouldn't say I'm conversational to any degree, but between, between materials that I get, cause usually I, 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 I've got a channel open to the writer in France, so I can always work with the writer. Um, I, sometimes I can actually get the original scripts. Sometimes I can get those original scripts with a really rough, bad translation from the writer. Um, and then in some cases, I can just use Google and do a really terrible version with that. But then <laughs> that's where I can kind of go back to the creative part that I missed so much from writing comics is even I can take a rough translation that sounds terrible, but then talk to the writers directly to make sure I understand what was intended. And then I can put my writer hat back on and I can make it sound as natural as possible. Nice. Yeah. That is very cool and very difficult. I mean, I speak a, a little bit of German and I'm quite a bit better in, in Spanish and I can't even imagine trying to translate Spanish comics or, or Spanish writing at all mm -hmm. into, because it, it's, you're absolutely right that it, it can't, it's not a word for word thing. You're trying to get across a feeling, an yeah. emotion sometimes. Um, and you're trying to give your audience the original feeling that the, the writer intended. That's, that's gotta be a tough job. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where it really helps. Like, again, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to, the books that we put out, we're not just trying to release cool books, but we're also trying to introduce the talent to the States. So, to a certain degree, we're also trying to represent the writers and the artists to this new audience. So we're trying to build a relationship with, with the writers and artists directly. So with that access to the writers, I can always make sure that I'm not misinterpreting or misrepresenting, you know, anything that they intended, you know, like there's, I, I just, we just got done uh, doing the translation for another, another book coming out this uh, spring. Uh, it's called A Glance Backward. It was in previews, I think it was last month. Um, but it's by, it's another book by artist Tony Sandoval, but it was written by Pierre Paquette, who is, he's actually one of the uh, publishers in Europe. He runs a publishing company called Paquette Editions, and they've got some really great stuff. 
uh, that I'm hoping to bring over soon. But um, Paquette's a great guy, and Pierre trusted me to, you know, translate it. And when I was confused by certain metaphors that he's clearly trying to paint, I would ask him, you know, to clarify, and he'd clarify, and I'd say, well, maybe that doesn't really speak to, you know, maybe an American audience wouldn't understand that metaphor. What if we tried this? And he'd be like, yeah, no, that that sounds good. You think that works? Like, yeah, I think that works. And, you know, he'll, he'll trust me. And so I think building a relationship helps. Absolutely. Yeah. Too. Having that rapport is amazing. Yeah. Yep. One thing that I always ask, because we're, like we mentioned, we're almost two years old and um, something that we ever now and then have these moments where um, either someone emails us and says, Hey, um, I've been a fan of your work for ages. And someone just mentioned to me that they love reading your blog. And just those moments where you suddenly go, Oh, that's right. We're doing a really awesome thing. And maybe we're kind of making it. Do you have any moments like that um, for magnetic? <laughs> you know, um, I, I can maybe count two or three so far. We're still, we're still so new and really I think our awareness right now has reached, we've reached a really strong dedicated core audience. Uh, a lot of whom were already familiar with some of these French titles. So they were just excited to finally see them in English, but you know, we're still, I think we're still pretty unknown to the larger comic uh, market and, and, and social group in, in the U S so uh, we've been so heads down just trying to get the work done. And we haven't really spent too much time trying to fan the grass fire to be much bigger. So that is definitely going to take a change this year. We're definitely going to be doing a lot more awareness building, doing more convention appearances, and really spend more time reaching out yeah. to, to get more people aware of us. So, so yeah, so far, you know, there have been a, a couple of really nice kudos. Like, you know, just here, just like being able to get, Rick Remender to do the forward for Nadja or, you know, the forward for glance backward is, you know, Scotty Young, like actually getting guys like that to tweet nice things about magnetic. That's been cool. You know? Yeah. That's, that's amazing. We just sent out our, we just sent out our box of submissions for the Eisners this year. And so, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to set high expectations and get this, <laughs> It, but fingers are crossed we'll at least get a, a nod for for any one of them but that would be really cool yeah i mean i i would love to see doom boy get some attention because that book just has besides the fact that it's just got a it's got a really nice heart to it i think tony's mm -hmm. book is fantastic i think tony deserves recognition but i think that book in particular i mean of all the books he's done so many books over there and we could have released any one of them first but I just knew that that had to be the first one. That's the best introduction to Tony Sandoval's heart and art and sense of storytelling. Yeah, and I've got um, some friends who own a comic store, and um, I guess you guys sent them some kind of press press uh, press kit or something. Yeah. That I had uh, actually had, I noticed sitting on the back counter. I was like, hey, you guys, you know, check that out. And they're like, no, not yet. So <laughs> they, they started looking through, and they're like, oh, this looks, looks good. So they ordered a, a number of them, including Doom Boy. Yeah. And the entire staff just, just tore through all the books and they're out and currently have more on order because they just love them so much. Nice. Well, it's nice to hear that they actually got that. That was that, that has been to date our biggest marketing initiative was putting that thing together. I totally underestimated how much work that was going to be. <laughs> it was, it's, you know, two, two-sided posters, uh, a 20 page catalog, uh, you know, a letter to the, to the individual store uh, inside a custom printed envelope and I thought yeah and then you know we'll just spend a couple evenings stuffing them by hand and then we'll put it through the mass mailing posting system no it's a lot more work than that oh yeah it's, it's wow. great to, I, we actually I did get a bunch of email from a number of stores that were like hey you know I, we usually don't reply to you know mass mailers like this but yours really caught our eye and you know we really think your books look awesome and we're going to start ordering so that's actually been that that was really really encouraging the number of stores that actually took the time to reach back out to say that they got it and they really like what they saw yeah that, that, that's awesome yeah now obviously big two aside you know there's a lot of other small comic publishers out there you know rkm boom like we mentioned where, where you and, and less have come from um, 
and we've kind of danced around this a little bit, but what, what do you guys feel really sets you guys apart from, from the other, the other small presses? Well, I think first and foremost, I think our format, I mean, the fact that right now, so far to date, all of our books have been hardcover. I mean, that was one thing that we did at Archaea that, you know, especially as publisher who was kind of uh, mostly focused on the, you know, the book side of things The you know, the working with the publishers or I'm sorry, working with the, uh, the, the, the printers and the distributors, I, totally appreciated the the format choice going hardcover just that's what set archaea aside initially you know we're not just a comic book a floppy comic house you know it's it's even though we are going to be publishing some floppies in fact our first one comes out in two weeks which we can get to later but uh i always thought while we were at archaea that that kind of put us in a different category almost in a different league so to speak it was like i always likened comic book publishers to be more like television studios where they're focused on regular serialized releases in small chunks like a tv show you know every month every week they're doing another episode whereas we were focusing on entire stories in a high quality hardcover format that's meant to last like on a blu-ray or something so we were more like a movie studio and that format really worked at archaea and I, I really want to carry that torch. So that's that's kind of what set us apart in the first place was trying to keep that hardcover quality premium format as a as a defining quality. I absolutely agree. And that's something that uh, caught my eye pretty quickly because um, initially I had been reading the digital versions of these. Mm-hmm. And then when I actually saw the book, I, I especially Mecca, because even digitally, that's a beautiful book. And then um, when I started flipping through it in in a hard copy, I was just completely blown away by how gorgeous that book is. Um, yep. It's it's a coffee table book. It's, it, this isn't your like you said. It's not like a normal floppy book at all. Yeah, we want these to be books that you're. I mean, that you're happy to put on your coffee table. I mean, it's not just it's not just another trade paperback collection of the first five issues of x y or z it's you know this is it's 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 an archive that you want to hold and you want to keep and this is what we want our books to be one of those few books you don't mind moving from state to state (laughs) yes you know you want to hold on to it you want to lend it to friends you want to give them out as gifts you know because they just it speaks more than you know a ten dollar trade paperback or you know and and you know it it's about the same costs per page as as you know, a floppy comic. If you're paying four bucks for, you know, 20 to 22 pages a month of a monthly comic book, by the time you get up to 250 pages, like some of our books, you know, you've probably spent, you know, 40 50 yeah, bucks. Absolutely. And so I think even our price point being 24.99 to 29.99, you know, we're, we're, we're actually not only a higher quality product, but we're a pretty good bargain for per page of content. Oh, definitely. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, pick. I mean, picking up the books you're talking about. Not not only are these hardcovers. I mean, they've got extremely nice paper. They're very, they're very well put together. The the binding is nice. They're not. I mean, you know, some companies put out their, their hardcovers, but they're really just the the trade paperback with a hardcover. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these are not. It's got the the ribbon bookmark, which uh, Tracy had a lot of fun with. <laughs> I was so excited about the ribbon. You know, not every book deserves a ribbon, but some of these books, you know, you may not, you may not have time to read them all in one sitting. If if you can read a book in less than an hour, we're probably not going to put a ribbon in it. But some of these books are like, okay, this is this is more than a movie. This is this is probably like two or three movies. So give 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 a person a break. Give them a ribbon bookmark. It's been good. so. Before we get too far away from it, though, why don't you go ahead and tell us about the uh, the floppy you guys have coming out? So yeah, so we've got this series coming out. It's called Poet Anderson: The Dreamwalker. It was created by Tom DeLonge, who's uh, you know who's the co-founder and, and and lead guitarist of Blink One Eighty Two, and then he's got his other band, Angels and Airwaves. And he's, I mean, he's always been, uh, uh, you know, a storyteller. You know, even, you know, outside of his music, he's always wanted to, to tell more stories. And so uh, he's he's written some screenplays. He's produced some films. He did a, a, a live action film uh, that, that's won some awards called Love. No coincidence. There's no connection to a 
our animal series. That's what I was just going to ask. <laughs> no, no coincidence. But he, uh, but so he, he, he came up with this character and this universe and, uh, you know, he really wanted to explore that in different mediums. Like the, the, the last angels and airwaves album that came out in December uh, called the dream walker is kind of like a conceptual soundtrack album for this universe he's created you know it's about like you know night terrors and lucid dreaming and things like that and so he he created this universe with this character named poet anderson who's like a he's kind of like a guardian who can travel through dreams and to protect people while they sleep from you know the night terrors and and all the evils that'll you know plague them in real life and he created a 10-minute animated short film that was also released with the album that was just really, really awesome. Um, it's, it's won a couple of awards at film festivals and stuff. And it's great. I mean, it's very, it's very anime style, but I mean, like feature quality anime. So, I mean, it, it was just, it's just a fantastic video that you guys should, should check out. Um, but he wants to tell more stories about that character in the universe. So he came to us and said hey let's do let's do a comic book let's do a graphic novel series and so we're creating kind of a prequel to the animated short and the animated short is kind of like uh the first chapter of what a feature film will be he's got the screenplay already written and they're already kind of doing some pre-production tests for a, a full-length feature so yeah so we've got this three issue series coming out that is the prequel to poet anderson the dreamwalker and it's it's really turning out really good First issue comes out, I think it's on shelves April 2nd. It's actually coming out next Wednesday, digital first, um, on Comixology. Um, and then it'll be, it's bi-monthly after that. So issue two will be in uh, in May. And then the last one will come out, I think, the first week of July, just in time for Comic-Con. Oh, nice. Trying that to get... sounds like a fantastic way to utilize several mediums Yeah. for one story. That That really is amazing. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, he's really, he's built his, this company called To The Stars, which is kind of his, um, his kind of his project production house, because he's got a couple of other brands that he's working on, a couple of other animated shorts and universes that he's starting to build, and, um, you know, if, if, if this model works out well, and if the comic does well, um, he seems really happy with everything so far, then, um, you know, maybe we can start bringing out more of his other properties. That would be very cool. That, yeah. ju that just sounds like a very interesting concept um, yeah. and something that I'm interested in finding out more about. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think, you know, as it comes out, we're going to be doing, you know, we're going to be doing some other things. He's actually got, he's got a novel, a prose novel um, about Poet Anderson being written. I think that's supposed to come out, I want to say that comes out in June also. But um, I, by the time we get to San Diego Comic-Con, we should have uh, just a lot of material um, in that universe for the fans. Nice. Yeah. Yep. So that'll. So we, you know, we were we, we talked about doing that straight as a graphic novel first, just as a hardcover. But it just made sense in this particular case to do it, to do it as floppies, because um, just the the format and the type of story, the way it was broken down, really seemed to fit a good twenty-two to twenty-eight page chapter format. And in retrospect, you know, our pipeline can we can we can handle floppy comics with very little change in, in, in operation. Oh, very cool. So yeah. you said that you were going to attend more conventions in the next coming month. So you're going to be at San Diego? Yeah, well, in the next couple of months, it's it's going to be pretty limited. We're going to be doing C2E2 at the end of April or in the middle of April, um, mm -hmm. which is local, which is good. Um, and then we will be at San Diego Comic-Con. And then right now I'm putting together, I'm putting together a calendar of shows for after San Diego and beyond, basically, I'm I'm amassing a, as big a list of shows as I can get, plotting them on a map, and then figuring out everything within, say, a 500 mile radius of Chicago. What makes sense and what can we do? Try to build just a as as practical and aggressive a tour as we can. You know. So when you say radius, are you considering approaching or? Um jumping over the border into Canada as well? Because I know they do have some comic conventions up there. Yeah, I am certainly not opposed to that at all. Right now, I think, and it's mostly just a product of, you know, our size. We're still very independent. Mm -hmm. So cash flow is, is, a, is a factor. You know, to do a show like San Diego Comic-Con, 
I mean, that's to do that to any degree of effectiveness costs at least ten thousand dollars. Oh, of course, yes. And and even at a show like that, I mean, I think we'll be lucky if we make sixty to seventy five percent of that back in book sales, just because you can't fit that many books in a ten by ten spot. So sure. So it's a marketing expense. Big shows like that, you just have to chalk up to marketing. But I believe that the 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 local shows, those are where you can actually reach a more focused audience. You can actually spend more time, show more stuff, get to know people more, you know, more personally. And these are these are the these are the grassroots fans who, you know, they they're not spending thousands of dollars to go to New York or San Diego. I mean, they want to go to a good show. They want to read these things, but you know, in some cases you got to bring them out into Muhammad. Yes, absolutely. Although I, I would have to say that, especially now that it's getting so difficult to get into San Diego or New York Comic Con, yeah. um, which the last New York Comic Con, Andrew managed to get tickets, but I did not. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think C2E2 is just really booming. I mean, several creators that I know personally are are headed up there from this area and from New York yeah. Um, because it's just growing into a really big, beautiful show. So yeah. that sounds like a great opportunity. I think there's a lot of those smaller shows that are really actually benefiting from that. Like Emerald City is next. Mm-hmm. Like I oh, I loved Emerald City last year. Uh, yeah, I, I that's a great show, and I really wish I could have done that one. I mean, really, the only reason why it didn't work out is because this relocation back to Chicago. The timing was just not right. But right. I mean, that's that's the kind of show that I think really reaches. That, that that's the kind of show that really reaches the comic fans, you know. That's that's where we really could be effective in in, in broadening our our audience. Yeah, you got a few of these kind of larger regional shows, um, Emerald City, C two E two, Baltimore, yeah. shows like that. Phoenix that are Phoenix is in it, yeah. yeah. And those there've been kind of a real good uh, way for fans to get a, a bigger convention experience, but also to. For, for um like publishers and stuff to get their get their names and their products out there on a, on a much bigger scale without you know going insane at New York or San Diego or... yeah yeah and that's why I don't know that's why I don't know maybe 500 miles seemed a little arbitrary but I, I think 500 miles is probably a comfortable one day drive <laughs> so I'm looking at how many shows can we actually drive to absolutely I agree and, you know, I think that that's probably, I mean, that, that could keep us very busy for months. So, Mike, obviously you, you've you been in the comic industry for a while, and, and so has your, your partner, uh, Wes Harris. You know, you've seen a lot, of, a lot of change over the years. I think, I think what's a little more interesting uh, is, is where you guys see the, the, the industry going in the next, you know, five, ten years. Interesting. Well, you know, I, it's funny, I know that, Two or three years ago, I think the standard stock answer would have been, oh, digital. It's all going digital. But, you know, I think digital has, I think it's kind of plateaued. And I think it's kind of plateaued with the people who don't mind reading books digitally. But I think there's still this this core audience that they always want to hold things. And and, and again, that's where I think our, our hardcover format is really going to continue. Like, I don't I don't see our hardcover format going away. You know, I think certain titles maybe will reduce our print run, but uh, we'd still do them. I'd like to see the industry reaching a larger audience. Like I come back from Angolam and I am just always just totally jealous of the strength of the comic book industry in France. You know, just like the strength of the of the manga industry in Japan. It's like it's it's an accepted format for everybody. You will have grandparents picking up comic books and reading them at home. You'll have businessmen reading comic books on the train. It's there's no there's no stigma to it. And you know, I know Ross Ritchie recently put out the, you know, the the Comics Forward initiative and I think that's that's what I would I'd love to see the industry grow beyond the bounds of the current fandom. You know, I think it's just another way of telling a story, and I, 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 I want to see more mainstream, just a- average Americans embracing sequential picture story. <laughs> you know, yeah. unfortunately, I think there are so many four-color capes and tights that that 
that ruined it for most people. Fortunately, you know, I think I think the superhero movies are are helping a little bit, but it's not helping move it past the superhero thing. You know, right. I think there's there are millions and millions of people out there who don't go into a comic shop because they just don't like superhero stories. But if they knew that there are these great there's there's great noir stuff, you know, from Image, there's you know there's just I mean there's there's any kind of story you want to read, you can find in a comic format, but the average person does not know that. The average person still thinks it's Avengers and Batman. You know? So I'd love the industry to find a way. I, I, if there was a way that you could get a, 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 a consortium of American comic book publishers to actually join together and do a large multi-million dollar got milk style campaign just for the format you know yeah. just just for comics as a legitimate storytelling medium that would be fantastic if we can just get more people to not be <laughs> afraid of picking up a comic book that would um, be yeah, you mentioned digital comics, and I know in previous interviews you've you've talked a little bit about how um, digital comics have actually driven print comic sales. And I'm wondering, have you guys found that to be true with Magnetic as well? Because again, kind of going back to my surprise at how beautiful the books are after reading the digital, um, I I think that that's an easy jump to make with this particular press. Yeah, well, I I mean, I don't I don't have any. I don't have any data that that can actually correlate digital sales to, you know, hard copy conversions, because there's no way for me to know if you know individual people bought both. Right. But that said, like I don't, I, I I have very little expectations from our digital sales. Like for us, digital is just a marketing tool to broaden awareness. Like gotcha. to get people to notice things on Comixology, they'll try it out. They'll try out a chapter. If they like it, maybe they'll buy the other chapters digitally. If they really like it, ideally, they'll just go to the comic book store and buy the whole book right there. And I, I believe, even though, again, I don't really have any specific data to point to, I believe wholeheartedly that our conversion rate from digital to print is relatively high. I mean, Excellent. Again, our digital sales are not huge to begin with, but I, will, I, I would believe that a large number of those people, relatively large, maybe 25, 30%, eventually buy the hardcover. Well, I, I can tell you I, I am a data point, so. Okay. Well, yeah, there you go. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially once they've seen the hardcover, I mean, I know a lot of people, they, it's funny, I've read some reviews online where they reviewed one of our digital issues, and as part of their review, they would say, like, I got to find this book in the comic store or some of the reviews have even said I found it on Amazon and I ordered it and was surprised by, Holy crap, this is a beautiful hardcover book. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I think using, using digital as just an awareness building tool uh, so far has been our biggest uh, strategy. So we obviously we've mentioned a number of uh, different uh, projects that, that magnetic has going on in passing. Are there any others you uh, you want to bring up before we wrap up here? Any maybe any personal projects? Well, you know, it's funny. I I do have a bunch of personal projects that I have been working on, but when uh, when we launched Magnetic, I specifically just told Wes, "It's like, look, I I'm going to hold on to these because I don't want anybody to get the misconception that Magnetic Press is a vanity press. I don't want anybody to think I built this thing just for my own books. So there are a couple of books that uh, I have in the hopper." Um, that maybe we'll release within maybe later on this year or early in 2016. But I'm really happy just focusing on solid stuff from other people. You know, we've got more stuff coming from Tony Sandoval. Um, we finally got Bengal's uh, card set, playing card uh, universe, the world of casino. That'll be coming out uh, in July, June or July. So we're kind of moving into tabletops a little bit. Um, and then... We've got this series called The Adventures of Basil and Mobius, which it's a four-book series of graphic novels. Very kind of buddy cop, high adventure, kind of Indiana Jones, James Bond meets lethal weapon with the buddy cop banter kind of thing. Um, <laughs> that's been really good. Um, 
Um, and that that's coming out quarterly. The first one, the first one should be coming out at the end of April, and then they'll be coming out quarterly after that. Uh, what else do we have that we've announced? Believe me, there's a bunch of stuff that is right now just on the cusp of getting signed that I would love to talk about until <laughs> I get the signature. Understandable. Yeah. And definitely let us know as cool stuff comes down the pipeline. We're always excited to hear about new um, new stuff. And we do, I, I, I've mentioned this before, but we focus a lot on small press stuff. So, I mean, as soon as you can tell us, please tell us. Absolutely. I definitely will. Yes. So, Mike, uh, like, I mentioned this to you before we started here, but uh, wrapping up here, what are uh, what are you into uh, lately? Well, you know, content-wise, I, I find that I'm reading, and it's not by any sort of choice or design, I find I'm reading a lot of image books. And, you know, I've always read a lot of Dark Horse books. Granted, most of the writing I've done was with Dark Horse, so I've kind of got a relationship with them. But, um, you know, it's the image stuff and the Dark Horse stuff, the stuff that's not the capes and tights it's the kind of stuff that you would see in europe i don't know i guess maybe i've just kind of picked up that that non-superhero european mentality but yeah that's those are the kind of things i've been reading a lot of you know rick remender you know black science and i've been reading i don't know east to west saga of course i think everybody has to read saga yes absolutely yeah things like that um you know nameless was great rat queens I have been enjoying Punisher, the, the the recent Punisher. Okay. Yeah. Well, Blue Yonder. Punisher, Punisher is not on my pull list, but maybe I'll have to, I'll have to go check that out then. Yeah, I really liked, um, uh, what was the series that they did beforehand? Oh, no, I'm blanking. And I'm embarrassed that I'm, I'm blanking. But Was it the, 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 really, the really grizzled Punisher, like Lost an Eye and stuff? Yeah, well, this is this. Okay. This is the the Mitch Gerards and and Nathan Edmondson. Yeah, I can't think of what it. I can't think of the storyline either, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean that kind of stuff. I've, I've been enjoying Ghost Fleet. I really like Don, Donny Cates. Is he's a he's a great guy. I'm really hoping to do some stuff with Donny Cates. Um, hopefully in the very near future. But Ghost Fleet's great. I enjoyed that. Buzzkill. So yeah, I mean, I want to. We do want to do more. Um, original creator owned stuff i mean we're, we're by no means are we limiting ourselves to european titles um there's just so much great european stuff that it's hard to stay away <laughs> tracy what about you okay so i am about a third to halfway through ready player one um really enjoying that one um i'm also reading a hysterical book called the two brothers or i'm sorry the brothers um, about Alan and uh, John Denver Dulles, the uh, two guys that basically ran Washington and sort of set up the CIA for what happened at the Bay of Pigs and that kind of thing, which I'm actually reading for class, or I read a chap about two chapters of it for class, and then I just got sucked in um, because <laughs> it reads like a novel. These two guys are crazy. Um, and I'm also learning that as much as I thought I knew U.S. history, apparently from about 1950 to about 1980, I am woefully short on knowledge of what actually happened as opposed to, you know, what the history book says. Um, and I am just dipping into Marvel Comics' The Untold Story. So, yes, Andrew, I'm finally reading that book. <laughs> um, You've had it for about 18 months. I, I know. I've, I've just had so many cool books to read, and, and that was looks like... It doesn't look as interesting as it actually is. Let's put it that way. You know, that's the problem is having too many books on the shelf that you want to read. I've got, especially just coming down with this, just finishing up this move, I felt so bad for the movers moving just literally box after box after box. <laughs> literally tons of books. And it's like, you know, I probably have not read two-thirds of those, but I'm going to. One of these days I'm going to. We call it the reading list of doom and it's unending because as soon as you take one off the top, three more start at the bottom. So, yeah. well, and here yes. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm opening boxes and I'm like, Oh yeah, I want to read that. Maybe I'll take tomorrow off and read these. And uh, no, I can't, I got stuff to do. <laughs> this, I'm going to work on this box and then, Oh, but what about that box over there? Yeah. No, no, those are good too. Yeah. I, I just, definitely feel that pain. I need to develop insomnia. How do, how do I get that? Can I catch <laughs> insomnia? Is that something I can actually do? I've been waiting for the pharmaceutical companies to um, 
make sleep in pill form for years, and they just don't seem to be getting on that. Yeah. That's, that's a whole mind. Coffee's great, but it's not quite not quite what I'm looking for. Yeah, not you're, right. just not, you're just not drinking it the right potency. <laughs> that's <laughs> probably the problem. <laughs> putting it straight into the veins. See, you got to go. Oh, undiluted. Got you. You're still using it in liquid form. What you need to do is get it concentrated down to, to a solid and just chew on it. <laughs> what about you, Andrew? What have you been doing lately? Well, I'm actually getting getting ready for for this uh, this interview here. I've been I've been catching up on a few of the other um, magnetic titles I I have that I I picked up around Christmas time. So I just like I said, I just finished Lumini. I'm in the middle of Zaya. I've got like 50 pages left of uh, Neuromancer. Mm. So oh right, yeah, I forgot you I'm were almost done with that. And I'm, I'm uh, that that should be done by the end of the by the end of tonight. So hopefully I can, cool. I can move on to the rest of the the, the list. But original and you... the original Gibson novel. Yeah. Nice. Oh man, I haven't read those in so long. But those, are... Count Zero. I I think Count Zero is still my favorite, though. I think that's the second in the Neuromancer. Yeah. But, yeah. Not that long ago, Andrew, you mentioned that you were changing your reading habits. Has that helped the amount that you've been able to read? Um, to an extent. I mean, I, I changed them a while before I I actually wrote that piece. Um, and if nothing else, I've been getting better sleep because of it. Um, I, I stopped looking at. I actually, I actually read almost all of my comics digitally now, just because um, I'm able to actually get through them, and I don't. Yeah, you know, I'm not worried about damaging them. Right. Uh, also, they're no longer trying to eat me alive, or bury me, or something. Yeah. Easier to pick up and put down. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that kind of stuff, but um, I think in general, I, you know, if I by forcing myself to turn off screens and and read for an hour before bed, uh, I think that that's generally helped me make additional progress so it's been helpful it's been nice yeah i mean i mean i guess i need to adopt something like that it's just i have so many nice hardcover books and i don't want to have to drag them from the living room bookshelf into the bedroom and then drag it back when i'm done yeah no i understand well mike we want to thank you uh, a lot for coming on we, we've had a really great conversation we really enjoyed having you on yeah no thank you guys for having me on and i'll definitely keep you posted as, as new stuff comes up Please do. So once again, if you guys like what we do, make sure you head on over to thereforeageek.com and check out our other podcasts and check out our blog posts. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thereforeageek. You can follow us on Twitter at thereforeageek. Tracy is at Mary Eyes. Mm -hmm. And you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and leave us a review. Please do. Five stars. So once again, I'm Andrew. And I'm Tracy. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek. May 16th and 17th, don't miss Tywater Comic Con at the Virginia Beach Convention Center. Our first ever two-day spectacular, and we have over 100,000 square feet of events, panels, contests, and dealers. Comic book creators Chad Harden, Ron Mars, Ken McGuire, Greg Land, and more. Celebrity guests Sam Witwer, Kelly Hu, Sam Huntington, Megan Raff, Chloe Dykstra, and many more. Passes are on sale now, and the earlier you buy, the more you save. Visit www.tywatercomiccon.com for more information and get your passes to the incredible, uncanny, amazing Tidewater Comic Con. Tidewater Comic Con, Tidewater Comic Con.